Okay, church, it's that time to settle down, take out your Bibles, and get started digging into the Word of God. That's what it's all about. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, now as we wrap up that passionate speech there that Paul the Apostle is giving to those dearly loved men, the Ephesian pastors there, gathered on the shores of Miletus there. As he's ready to say goodbye for the very last time. Words of life, words of wisdom, God. Words of life and wisdom for us as well. So help us as servants of the Lord to hear what makes us effective and productive and safeguards our life here in the final closing part of the speech where he says, listen, there's one attribute, one virtue that will make you or break you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you notice I left a little cliffhanger there? That was intentional. (laughs) Billy Graham, uh, you know, America's pastor, as he was called. I just love that guy. One of the most effective Christian evangelists, really, of the modern world. Uh, Amazing ministry. I didn't know it was uh, over a span of 58 years, and that in those crusades, he reached 100 million people in person there, over 185 countries, every continent. What was cool is his uh, sterling reputation, a scandal-free life. And he kept the message biblical. He died peacefully at 99. Uh, yeah, 2018, not so long ago. Uh, he left behind an awesome legacy there, the Billy Graham Association. Uh, but that's not all he left behind. Billy left some parting words. A letter that begins with a charge to his family members who would survive him. And they're strikingly similar to some parting words that we've been studying in the last couple weeks. Here's what Billy's letter said. I ask you, my dear children and grandchildren, first to maintain and defend at all hazards and at any cost of personal sacrifice the blessed doctrine of complete forgiveness made possible through the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus alone. I urge you all to walk a life worthy of the Lord, a life of separation from the world, and to keep eternal values in view. And what was amazing is is that he said exactly what really Paul has said, and the Bible says two things matter in the Christian life, what you believe, and how you live. Watch your life, the Bible says. You may preach the right words, but you better live it. Live a godly life that pleases God. And watch your doctrine, too, to make sure it's biblical. So Billy Graham's parting words, right, just say the same thing that Paul was trying to get across here. And no doubt the Apostle Paul was the source of Billy Graham's inspiration uh, because uh, he's borrowing language uh, from this actual speech. And so, yeah, uh, Paul knows that the guys there, Ephesus, uh, won't have him around anymore. And so he can't help guide them in their Christian lives anymore. So he's going to pass the torch, as it were, 
leaving them with some powerful words, words that we've been working our way through here. And as I've mentioned, we almost made it through. We are three quarters of the way uh, through. And so we're going to back up, start from his opening sentences, and then make it to the last closing paragraph for our consideration this morning. He began there in verse 17, from Miletus, that's the city, the port of call, Paul sent word to the Ephesian elders, the word is pastors of the church there. When they arrived, he said to them, "Uh, you know the example I left you, how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day we met. Verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and this is the example I want you to follow because you're going to have some tears and adversity. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, and you too, will be severely tested. Follow my example. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. I didn't hold back. I gave you the whole truth. Nothing but the truth, so help me God. Uh, But I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So He said, I'm leaving you an example to follow. I'm not patting myself on the back. I lived it out for you so that in times of trouble, handle your adversity the way I did, and you're going to be okay. And then he went on to his next point. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I don't have the exact details. I only know in every city. The Spirit assures me that troubles are going to be facing me. However, here's my motto in life. I consider my own life, self-preservation, it's not my highest priority. It means nothing, my life, to me. If only the one who gave me that life, that I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying whatever I do, wherever I am, to the gospel of God's grace. So he leaves them not only with an example to follow, but with a motto to live by. And then he goes on to that warning. Now, I know that none of you are ever going to see me again. Therefore, I declare to you, I'm innocent of the blood of everybody because I haven't held back at all. I told you everything you need to know. I've warned you the whole will and counsel of God. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves. There it is. Watch your life. And all the flock that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, another word for pastor. Be shepherds, another word for pastor. Pastor the church of God who which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in among you and not spare the flock, even from your own number. Oh, my word. Men will arise and pervert, is the word, to twist the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. He said, be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, day and night with tears. So for three years, everything he did, everything he said, he'd all say, but remember, remember, uh, deceitful liars are coming and they're going to blur the truth and watch out for the wolves, watch out for the wolves. Stay on guard. They're coming. And so he finishes up now, and this is our paragraph, our text for this morning. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified just means 
We all share in God's calling to be separated from out of the world to God. That's what sanctified means. I have not, now another example, live this way, gentlemen. I haven't coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, not just my needs, but the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you guys that hard work, by this hard work, this generous spirit, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And that's the last word. Gentlemen, live with a generous heart and you are going to be blessed. Closing word. When he said that, he knelt down and all of them prayed and they wept and embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was the statement, this is the last time we're ever going to see one another again. And then they got on the boat. The boat was right there. They were on the beach there having that last farewell. So this is our text. It is the word of the Lord and it is the truth that sets our hearts free. And may God apply it to our hearts. Amen. Amen. So Paul's left them an example to follow. He's given them a motto to live by. Then a warning to take to heart. And now a virtue to cultivate. A virtue. On top of everything else I told you guys, he says, here's my very last word. A character quality that will make or break you. Do this, or rather be this, and the Lord promises happiness and that your life will be full of God's favor. Be a giver, not a taker. Be more about giving out than taking in. It was Winston Churchill who said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. So here's what he's saying in contemporary English. He's saying, gentlemen, get a life. <laughs> get a life. Be generous. So here's his flow of thought. You can follow it in the paragraph, just a few sentences each. First, he commends them to God's grace, to this generous God, and the one who gives us such grace. And then, secondly, he reminds them of his example of living in a gracious way, a generous way of living. And then, thirdly, that exhortation, the quote from the Lord Jesus himself, the lips of the Savior, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, the story's told because, you know, the problem is, is it's not our natural inclination to prefer the other and uh, to uh, give rather than to receive. Uh, the story's told two Christian buddies were working the construction site and Time for lunch came around. There was a local restaurant right across the street, and they were advertising their special on sirloin steaks. And so all morning long, they worked hard. They worked up an appetite. They were hungry, and they were smelling the steaks grilling. And so they couldn't wait to hear the bell, and boom, off they went. They sat down, and they both ordered the lunch special, the steaks. Now, the waitress comes back with a big tray with the steaks on that tray. She sets it down in the middle of the table, but 
Obviously, one was much bigger than the other one. Without a moment's uh, hesitation, one of them just stabs uh, his fork into the steak and plops his steak down on his own plate, the larger steak with a big fat grin on his face. The other guy was like, man, rude. (laughs) He goes, you don't even say anything? You just stab and grab? My word. The other one says, well, what's your problem, bro? What would have you done? And he says, well, I would hope I would have offered the larger steak to you. And the guy says, well, there you go. I accept. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a happy ending, you know. And he said, "Uh, we both are getting what we want. Yeah, the guy who put himself first is getting what he wanted. But he's not getting what he could have had. He could have had a full tummy and full favor of God resting on his life. One writer said, oh, the blessing we often forfeit because of our small-hearted, stingy ways. It really comes down to lack of faith and insecurity. So Paul is leaving these Christian leaders with a plea that say, let the overarching banner of your life be that you're a giver that you have met the most generous God and his generous spirit lives in you, therefore it overflows constantly wherever you go. Safeguard your life, gentlemen, and your ministries from greed and covetousness. Ensure that you will have God's blessing. Be a giver, not a grabber. Plop the larger stake down on the other person's plate before he even knows what's going on. Boom, done. Grab the bill first or tell the waitress, I know this guy. He's going to try to pay. Bring it to me. Outsmart your opponent (laughs) because you want the blessing. There's nothing in it for the giver except the food on the plate not the blessing of God. So this is what it's all about. So he's signaling, he's about to bring his remarks to a close by saying, and now I commit you, I entrust you to God and his grace, that's a beautiful thing. And really, look at how the paragraph is unified because uh, the commending us to God's grace is the thought of we've received this great grace. And this leads him to think about we are recipients of this incredible generosity that saved our souls. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And from birth to ministry to death, that's all Jesus was about. Serving, 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 giving, 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 others, others, others. This is who God is. And he, by his spirit, is supposed to indwell us. So is there any other option for us than to be lavishing a generous heart on those who are all around us? Jesus modeled it. He is the fullness of deity and bodily form, and he gave to the last ounce of his strength, to the last drop of his blood, giving. He gave 
to the death. That's our call. That's the reach. Now, when he's talking about being an over-the-top giver to lavish generosity, he's talking about two things. One, of course, is the is financially material goods and possessions. That's the context here. That's the proper context. He's talking about being uh, generous with what God has entrusted to us, not given to us solely for our own needs, though that's important too. But he's entrusted that to us. But wider meaning of generosity is really uh, giving freely like from our hearts, forgiveness. We give forgiveness generously to those who offend. We generously give mercy to those who don't deserve it. We generously give our time and our attention and our affection. These are things that cost us something. And so we're spending, but we're spending generously, liberally, with not just our open hands, but our open hearts. This is how you get the blessing of God that God promises. He binds himself with an oath and swears to us by himself that if you live in this way, you will garner the very blessing of heaven. He knows he needs to encourage us because it's not exactly an easy way to live as fallen sinners. So he says, I commend you I entrust you back to God. God has given you to me to care for, and now I can no longer do that except by praying. Uh, So I give you back to the God who gave you to me in the first place. So God is a giver. He commends them to his grace, to God's grace. And and that is, again, as I've been saying, uh, a shout-out to God as a giver. So here's Jesus' words. Uh, Because God is a giver, because he designed us to be givers too, and for life to work that way, that's why Jesus can say it will go much better in life for the giver than the one who's more content to get. Proverbs 11 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Here's the point of this passage, and he's leaving them with this point. He says, listen, brothers, listen up. Givers gain, withholders lose. Your happiness depends on whether you're a giver or a taker. Words of God. So after three solid years, and some of them, more than that. Uh, He's been pouring into these lives, and uh, now he's got to go. He feels like he's going to leave Turkey, go to Israel, and be martyred. And so he's like, I'm not going to see you again. Uh, And so what else could he do? He's got no options. i got to entrust you back to the God. To God, love this, God who is good, and to his word of his grace, which is strong. And he gives them back. It's comforting to him to know that I can hand you over to God and the word of his grace. I love not a word, uh, the word of his commands, the word of your vow and your pledge and, and a word of commendation of where you sign on the dotted line. I commend you to that. Oh, thankfully he didn't commend us to that. God commends us 
to himself who is rich in mercy and to his grace that never fails us and carries us when we cannot carry ourselves. And so this is what he's doing. Uh, yes, and kind of like Christian parents. Christian parents, man, you know, their children are a gift from the Lord, but they're on loan because Actually, human beings belong to God. Uh, we were used to steward them, to raise them for him. They belong to him uh, in the instruction and the love of God. And so by lifestyle, <laughs> by how we live, by how we spoke, how we modeled, how we taught them, and Sunday school and church and youth groups and all of that, we raised them and protected them from the world and to honor God and to, to trust him and to serve him. But there comes a day when we have to wave goodbye. We can't go with them in the car to the college and follow them around the campus. And if you've done that, you've gone too far. <laughs> uh, as much as we would like to go and sit by them when they're listening to godless lies uh, meant to destroy their faith and the anti-Christian rhetoric, we can't be in the dorm we can't be in the cafeteria. We can't be on the job site. We can't be at the gym. We can't be at the party. And we can't not be with them when they're on their phones, searching the internet, when there's a devil out there prowling about, seeking someone like your kid to devour. No, we only have one option. Yeah, we stay available, of course. And we're prayerful. The only thing we have is to entrust them back to the one who entrusted us with them in the first place. This brings my heart and your heart much comfort. And I know that this entrusting of these dear friends, some of them his children in the faith, back to God brought Paul a lot of comfort because God is good and his grace is strong. And so I'm not surprised to hear a shout out to the inheritance that gracious living is building for us. He says he wants them to realize that Christian service is accumulating something in heaven that Jesus talks about all the time. Jesus said, look, don't make it about this life. He says, you've got an inheritance there. Keep investing. Keep sending it forward. Pay it forward by serving God and being a gracious person. He says, Jesus does in Matthew 6, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's no bankruptcy there. There's no embezzling going on. Your investment is safe with me. And he says, even if it's just a cup of cold water, Jesus says, when you give, a cup of cold water, giving generously. Even if you think oh, it was just a little nothing burger, you know, he says, you will not lose your reward. He says, God is keeping track because he wants to see your face on that day when he says, look at this, and you are going to be floored, and that's going to give him a lot of joy. So the whole point is keep your eye and what's really important, what's going to be permanent and eternal, 
not temporary. This is it. So we're moving on now to Paul's example of living in that way, this generous, gracious way of life. And so he reminds them of his own eternal perspective, that he wasn't a a taker. He was a giver, even if that meant he would forego his right by the scriptures for a salary and work with his own two hands, a job, so that he could be a blessing and contribute uh, there and alleviate others. That was his way, and that was a great example for these men who are going to be tempted to make it all about themselves. So C.S. Lewis said this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. I really like that. So Paul aimed at heaven and he said, men, you know how I lived. I wasn't about the here and now. I was about let's look to heaven. I never coveted anyone's silver or gold or their fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine, check them out, calluses, because I can make tents and I was trained and I know how to work hard and it's a good living. So I'm like, why not? It alleviate these guys from having to support me Plus, it will, it will pull the rug out from underneath the detractors who want to say, oh, that apostle Paul, which they did anyway. I said, oh, he's a fraud. They're just after your money. And then the, the, the uh, Ephesians could say, actually, he didn't take a dime. In fact, he was supporting some of the other ministers as well and giving in the offering himself. This was a beautiful thing. So a shout out to hard work and generous living. So uh, yeah, he he wants these guys, young ministers, not to get a sense of feeling entitled. Entitled, right? So on one hand, Paul tells the Corinthians, I think I have it, 1 Corinthians 9.14. If I don't, I'll just tell it to you. The Lord has commanded, strong word, that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Okay. So it's right when it's appropriate and necessary and feasible. It's the way God has ordered life to go in ministry. But that said, the heart of the minister and the ministry is whatever we're doing, you included, we do it freely, voluntarily, cheerfully, without demand of any kind of remuneration whatsoever, right? Uh, but common sense things, you know, that have to uh, happen for ministry and life to happen, uh, but outside the heart, I'm talking about the heart. The heart says, and Jesus taught this to the guys he sent out. He said, listen up, freely you have received, freely you've received, freely give. Just freely give. Now, on the other hand, very interesting, to the same guys on the same mission, he says, now when you're serving me, don't worry about your finances because the employee is worthy of his wages. Luke chapter 10. So from our hearts, we're like, I freely give. No, I don't charge. I don't expect it. And I don't demand it, says the minister. But then God says that, listen up, that's a real job. And the work, the worker deserves to be paid, just like everybody does a job. 
So there it is, kind of the balance there. And Paul decided to forego that right uh, and, and prevent his opponents from their love to slander him, as I said. So he tells them, look, I'm not afraid to work hard. I didn't expect to receive a salary. I didn't demand it. And, and, and here's when I was invited to speak to a church, Paul could have said, I didn't send my assistant, Timothy, out with a retainer, as some do today, requiring thousands of dollars sign on the dotted line for a couple songs and a sermon, $10,000. We, and most churches, would gladly, if we had it and if it seemed proper, give the 10000 but don't ask for it. Don't ask for it. You come freely. Everyone who's ever come and spoken here, not one of them has demanded $1. Always said, I'll turn in my receipts and, and let's leave it at that. And if God blesses me, he blesses me. That's the spirit. That's the spirit of the scriptures. But unfortunately, not everybody gets that. And Paul knew that they'd be tempted to start throwing numbers out and say, I preach the gospel. I can quote 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 44. God commanded that. <laughs> you know, those who preach the gospel must make their living from the gospel. Wow. Nope, that's not the way to go. Uh, me and my friends, <laughs> we were talking and we're like, we love to preach so much that we would pay somebody to be able to do what we're doing, you know, and, you know, bivocational. Did you know that most pastors in the United States are bivocational? They work a full-time job and have full-time ministry, most of them. In fact, for the first 10 years of this church, the first half, up until this building, I had a full-time job, and I commuted to the East Bay as a full-time English teacher at a vocational college. I loved it. I was so sad to have to leave there. I mean, it got to be really difficult to do both because the church grew. But I loved it. Why did I love it? Because it's just God's blessing. God's blessing. I was the undercover youth pastor of the <laughs> campus. <laughs> Nobody knew it, and it was like a kid in a candy store. Ah, it was so much fun. I just turned every class into how must I be saved and telling them about the gospel, and so it was fun. But that's the idea, whatever it takes, our hearts. So he says, watch out, because you're going to get some guys who are twisted and robbed of the truth, and they think that it's all about making money in the ministry. And so he elaborates to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, a famous passage. There it is. Watch out for false teachers, guys. Conceited, big-headed, vain men who have been robbed of the truth. They're in pulpits, but they don't have any truth. And they think that godliness, being a Christian, serving God, is a way to get rich. Huh? That's going on today. But godliness with contentment makes you rich. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. Like Job said, I came in naked. I'm going out the same way. 
But if we have food and clothing, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus says. That's your prayer. Give us this day our daily necessities. Be happy with that. Trust God for that. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of God, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Lots of people say money's the root. No, it's not. Money's neutral. Money's really super good. You know what it's doing right now? It's changing the world in Nepal. Money's good. The heart. The heart. It's all about the heart. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. So the last place you want to find the love of money is in the heart of a servant of the Most High God. So uh, notice this, and I love this. He says, with my own hands, I worked a job so that I can contribute to the work of the Lord, so that I could have something to share. Now, most people, including Christians, forget that the primary reason, there's two, for God giving you the job you have is one, duh, taking care of yourself, your need, your family, and of course, things to enjoy. He gives us everything we need to enjoy life. For savings, for retirement, these things are good. That's why you have a job. On the same level, number two, and not to be minimized or erased, is is that we have jobs so that we can support his work. That's absolutely, in his mind, why God lets people have wealth. And if you make... $50,000 or more a year, you're in the top 1% in the whole world. Most of the world is poor. So we're rich. Everyone in here is rich. And God thinks that he gave you your job to take care of your needs and your family and to be generous, to help him with his work. I have a friend who said to us at a dinner table, oh my word, I did some budgeting with great grief in their voice. They said they spent $1,000 at Starbucks over like 10 months. That's a lot of coffee. (laughs) It's actually not that much coffee. (laughs) When a cup of coffee costs seven bucks. And nothing on the work of God. Processing through that, she was saying that she's always thinking, well, when I have something to give, and kept it at the bottom. And she goes, I do not want to get to heaven and not have contributed because I was too busy protecting myself. God says, when you loosen up and you give, he says, I promise you, I will keep the storehouse supplied fully. I'm quoting. That's a Bible verse. 
you see, because God knows. So what does he say? He tells the Corinthians, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, what you've decided in your heart to give, to share for the Lord's work. And it's been like that for 2,000 years. Now, the funny thing is, is that pastors talk about this almost every Sunday. Me, when it comes up in the Bible, it's here. We go verse by verse. So nobody's gunning for anything because this church is over the top crazy generous. And we've been known for that. People know that we are a generous bunch of people because we have a generous God and we love him and we're happy and we want to bless him and make him happy because what does it say? God loves a cheerful giver. Oh, man. So, yes, indeed. Wrapping up now, he gets to one final thought and he's going to leave him with a punch. Jesus' own words. He says, just remember overarching banner over your life as I like to say is this it's more blessed to give than to receive what does he mean by that well I like John Piper calls Jesus words it's more blessed to give than receive the the unpopular path to true happiness (laughs) because we know he said blessing can mean happiness but it means happiness and the fullness of God's favor resting on your life in all kinds of forms you know so there was a family uh, let me try this out on you it didn't go over first service but I I have faith in you So now you'll have to do a courtesy laugh, even if you... Okay, so a family's preparing for Christmas, and they want to instill in their large family that's gathered around some character quality, some virtue about being generous and not be covetous and so stingy and me-centered all the time. So Dad stood up, and he said, talking about the true meaning of Christmas. And he says, let us remember what our Lord Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than receive. One of the boys looked devastated. (laughs) And then he lit up. He had a great idea. And he stood to his feet and he said, I've got good news. I'm going to make you all very blessed this Christmas (laughs) because you're going to be giving all your presents to me. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I'd give that about an eight. All right, I like that. It just doesn't come easy. That's why God has to say, listen, I'm going to give you so many incentives because I know you're insecure and your faith is about this big, you know, but I'm going to help you with that uh, for sure. Now, let's talk about this. It's called the ninth beatitude. Beatitude is a fancy word for blessing. It comes from the Latin, right? Now you remember, Sermon on the Mount, there are eight, Matthew chapter 5, there are eight blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who mourn. For, you know, yes. And onward it goes, right? There's eight of those. Uh, This is called the ninth one. Well, it's added on because uh, you can't find these words in any of the Gospels. So what's up with that? Well, (laughs) Paul hangs out with Peter a lot in the book of Acts. And there, John told us in his Gospel at the end, his last signing words were this. John 21, listen, he said, if everything Jesus said and did and taught were written down, 
I suppose the entire planet could not hold all the books that would have to be written. So we know he said a lot that we don't know. Well, now God wanted to make sure that the oral tradition of this saying got encoded into the scriptures because it's so very important and we have it. Now, in keeping with all the blessings, <laughs> the other blessings, uh, they're counterintuitive and they're paradoxes because the things that the world runs after to make them happy actually make them sad. And the things that should make us sad actually make us happy in God's economy. So, for example, blessed are you when you're broken in spirit and you feel like you're bankrupt inside there. You're really happy. Why? Because that's going to usher you into eternal life. You might not ever have come. Blessed are you when you're mourning and you're sad. Actually, you're mourning your sin and your powerlessness and death is coming and you need a savior and it's grievous to you in your sins. He goes, that's the happiest sadness in the world because through your sadness, you've come to have eternal life and escape the torment of hell. How happy is that sadness that leads you to life? And here's the same way. Now, how is it that you're more blessed to give than receive? How is it that the one who pays for the dinner, uh, the celebration for everybody's way, is more blessed than everyone who got to enjoy a free meal and a beautiful time on that joyous occasion? Well, people like to say, it's the joy. It's the joy in the heart. It may be true on some level, but that's not the answer. <laughs> that's not what Jesus is talking about. But for sure, that, that euphoric sense of when you bless somebody you love by giving and bailing them out of some trouble or just... Uh, uh, there's this uh, video on YouTube that this boy was dreaming of this puppy for Christmas. His parents got him the puppy and uh, kind of close your eyes and put the puppy in his lap and he just, he lit up and then he started bawling like a baby, just weeping. It's pure joy. I watched it over and over again just because it's the joy of seeing his joy. But guess what? Who's to say his joy or our joy? Ah, this is not the thing. This is not the answer. Because, and I'll tell you why. Sometimes, sometimes it's not even true that our joy is greater than the joy who's receiving. Because giving is hard. Giving is discipline. Giving is sacrificial. How about when you're giving generously mercy to the person who doesn't deserve it? Or you're giving forgiveness or you're giving a gift to someone who's ungrateful. You're blessed. Why? Ah, oh, now we're going to start talking about it. Because you're doing something noble. The recipient is not doing anything noble. It's not their fault that they're receiving. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just not proactively getting God's favor on their life. But you are. Because you're being faithful. Oh, listen to all the things that you're doing. It's the giver, not the receiver, that's got heaven's attention in that moment. It's the giver, not the receiver, who's obeying God's command. It's the giver, not the receiver, who's being Christ-like. 
It's the giver, not the receiver, who God promises to reimburse. The 30th president of the United States, Calvin Coolidge, he said, nobody's honored for receiving. Honor is reserved for those who give. And listen to this. And I have it for you. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and you will receive. The Son of God speaking. The God-man. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, chicken together, to make room for more. <laughs> Running over and poured into your lap. You think Jesus is trying to get at something there? The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Too bad that this has been abused. Just because it's been abused doesn't mean it's not true. Right? So we receive it in the spirit of balance, in the spirit of truth, the spirit of love, the way it was intended to be. The giver is going to get back. The receiver promised nothing. Not doing anything wrong. But the receiver's benefits and blessings are severely limited. Open it up. Get some joy. Use it for a while. End the story. The giver. Where do I begin? Teaching themselves, training themselves out of greed. Increasing in their faith, being more like Christ. Following God's example, obeying the Lord. He's got a lot going on. Simply picking up the check. It looks so like, whoa. Like nothing happened. And heaven is like boom, 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 boom. A lot going on. Oh, I just, I can't tell you how living in this all week long has just been such a blessing to me. And you catch yourself, and you're going to have a fabulous week, uh, I think, as you put this together. And God says, look, I, I promise you, cast your bread on the water. I promise you, it'll come back. I promise. He said, just, just don't think that. You just let it go. Oh, no, what am I going to do? God's like, I how? Come on. I know that you let it go, and I'm bringing some more, and I'll press it down so it's overflowing so that you can do it again. That's what it's all about. <laughs> That's Jesus' logic. And so it just goes on and on and on. It's just a beautiful thing. So, yeah. Who's blessed more? Well, the receiver, he has some joy. But the giver, when we start thinking about Christmas, and by the way, there's 63 shopping days left. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Oh, so much to do. And in the words of Calvin Coolidge, we need to get a life <laughs> and uh, do what Jesus says and be more blessed when we give than when we receive. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for making such a difficult subject um, and a, a difficult character quality, uh, so attractive. You're making us all want to give. Lord, just being in this all week, I just couldn't wait to try to bless somebody. God, you're just good to us. You blessed us. So give us a, a giver's kind of heart. 
Lord, not just in practical ways, but just to be a generous person in every way because you've been so generous to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.